so thankful for Jesus Christ. And I invite you today to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to focus in today on one aspect of the Christmas story. But I want to just take a moment together as a church family and read again on the Luke chapter 2. There's nothing like Christmas, is there? There's nothing so glorious. There's nothing so remarkable. There's no, there's no moment in human history that was so phenomenal as when God became man. How many men want to be God today? And yet our God chose to be man. Look at Luke chapter 2 with me and let's read together the Christmas story, if you will. In Luke chapter 2 and verse number 1 it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were Gone away from them into, the, into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And, the, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things. And pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, and it was told unto them. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, for this glorious message. Not just, not just a story that we to like a fairy tale, but God, a genuine account of your workings in the lives of man. And so, God, we just thank you. Thank you for the reminder that, that you became put on flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, we just thank you. We pray that today as we hear from your word, that Lord, you would help our lives to have a desire to walk with you more earnestly than before. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. What an amazing night that must have been. Could you imagine being there that night, on, well, maybe in the presence, maybe just a fly on the wall, as we like to say, 
just being able to, to be in the presence of Mary and Joseph, seeing the, the shepherds walk in and, and seeing maybe on the hillside there as the angel come and makes the announcement and the heavenly host that appeared. What a glorious and amazing night. Uh, one author said this, he said, It was silent and yet there was music. It was dark and yet there was light. You see, Bethlehem almost missed it. There was no room for him in the end. They, they, most of us can recall a moment, the moment of our firstborn. Do you remember when your baby was born? You remember where you were when maybe you're, if you're a husband, you, your wife said to you, it's coming. Do you remember your heart falling through your chest and you had to pick it up off the floor to put it back in your chest so that you can remember what you're supposed to do next? Or, or maybe you remember that moment when you got to hold that baby for the first time. How precious that was. And, and on this first Christmas, we find this young, pregnant Jewish woman who was without even the decency of a clean sheet. She didn't even have a cot. Here she was about to give birth to a child, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, in a stable. Oh, could you imagine wrapping the, the child in those swaddling cloths? Could you imagine with me if you could put yourself in her shoes just to, just to hold that babe, knowing the announcement that the angels had given you, knowing that this was truly the Son of God, and God had entrusted you and Joseph to care for this child. And as you wrapped him tightly to keep him warm, and you began to care for him and to nurture him, and, and all of a sudden these shepherds enter into the room with you. I don't know if you'd be ready to throw them out or just say, wow, what an amazing God. But as we look at that, we see that this was truly an amazing night. Down the hillside from that small spot, there was the shepherds. There was the city of Bethlehem. And while this big event was transpiring, unannounced in Bethlehem, they had a surprise visit from heaven itself. And, and we're so, it's just so amazing to watch and see how God just, just worked so miraculously in this moment. In Luke chapter 2 and verse number 15, it says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. You see, they wanted to see. They heard the announcement and they desired to see. And, and maybe today you're here because you want to see what is the hype about Christmas over. It can't just be a guy in a red suit. It can't just be about reindeer and, and feel good, fuzzy, warm feelings on the inside. It's got to be something deeper, more meaningful. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 20, it says, And the angels, or excuse me, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. They heard about it, they witnessed it, and they glorified God as a result today. And I'm just reminded that God has a desire for us to hear the message, to be able to witness His work in our life, and to be able to glorify God even today. Nestled on the top of a Judean mountain, this town of Bethlehem was six miles south of Jerusalem. Bethlehem has a long history in the, in the life of Israel. It was first mentioned in Scripture when Rachel died there in Genesis chapter 35 and verse number 19. It was there that Ruth the Moabitess fell in love with Boaz, the Lord of the harvest, in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 22. It was 
in the same village that David, as a, tender, as a boy, tended the sheep of his father. It was here where he was anointed the, the king by the prophet Samuel. It was Bethlehem, centuries later, that Micah foretold would be the birthplace of the coming Messiah. Bethlehem was a special place. Bethlehem was a place where God had designed and desired to, to work a tremendous work. And as we walk through Bethlehem today, it's still a small village. It's probably about 50,000 residents today called their, their, their home, uh, the, that of what is known as Bethlehem. Their streets are small and over one million people annually visit the city of Bethlehem. Each of these pilgrims are there to visit a cave. This cave rests underneath a large Byzantine Greek Orthodox church, which has stood on that place since 530 A.D. And before that, it was, there was another structure built by Constantine's mother in 325 A.D. But listen, today Bethlehem is a troubled city. The city there, we see people who truly still need the Prince of Peace. But Bethlehem is not the only place that needs the Prince of Peace, is it? Today, even in our lives, in our homes, in our hearts today, we still need the Prince of Peace this morning. So I want to invite you to journey with me to Bethlehem today. I want to invite you to go with me to, to, and see three things about Bethlehem this morning that I think that, that are a correlation to what God wants us to see in our heart and respond to His message and the message of hope and salvation that Jesus Christ brought on that beautiful Christmas day. And it's because we see that Bethlehem is truly a place of both potential, of providence, and privilege. Let's look at that together. A place of potential this morning. Of all the places God could have allowed the Messiah to be born, God chose Bethlehem. In the book of Micah, you can turn there with me, God prophesied that Christ's birth would happen here. It was 700 years or so before Christ's birth. In Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, it says, But, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of these shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. We see here, even in Bethlehem, it had such a humble beginning. One certainly would have expected the Messiah to be born in Jerusalem, or at least any of the scores of towns or regions that were larger and more prominent than the little town and village of Bethlehem. But God has a way of dwelling among the lowly. Aren't you thankful for that? Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place, and with him also that is of a, listen, a contrite and a humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You see, Bethlehem reminds us that the small shall be great and the, first, the, the last shall be first. And God reminds us that God brings strength from weakness. Aren't you thankful that God can use the little guy? Aren't you thankful that God can use the humble things? Aren't you thankful that God can use you and me? Perhaps today you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel like the little among those around you. Like Micah said, he was, there was little among all those around him, but yet God chose to use this little place. It was a place of potential. And let me remind you that you are too. It may be that like Bethlehem, you simply haven't seen what God could do yet. The beauty is that God wants to use 
lives like Bethlehem. He wants to use you and He wants to use me. God has that desire because we see that God can use our humility before He can use a proud and arrogant man. I want you to see that there was a prudent belief here. Because as God looks upon us today, He doesn't see us for what we are, but what we could become. And, and if, we, if we make room for Him in our lives, it's amazing what, what God can do with a life that's completely and totally yielded. I want to in, invite you to, uh, to John chapter 1 with me in verse number 42. Do you remember the Apostle Peter? Do you remember as, as Peter met Jesus and the, the first encounter that he had with, with his Savior, the Lord looked on him and he didn't see Peter for what he was. He didn't see Peter as the guy who would step out of a boat and, and, and try to walk on water and fail. He didn't see Peter as the guy who would open his mouth and insert his foot a hundred thousand times. He saw Peter on that day of Pentecost. He saw Peter in, in Acts chapter 2 after the Holy Spirit had come upon them and we saw him preaching where literally 3,000 people were saved and baptized and added to the church. He saw that in Peter. And this is what he says in John 1.42. It says, And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Instead of saying that you're a pebble, he said you're going to be a rock. You're going to be uh, someone that is going to be one of the influential characters in, in the making and the molding of the, the church in, in history. Jesus saw potential in his life. Three and a half years later, Peter pre reached that potential. Three and a half years later, we see Peter become really the, the head and the leader of, uh, and the spiritual leader of Jerusalem. And as the Lord looks at your life and He looks at my life today, I'm just so thankful that He doesn't see how broken, how wretched, how ugly, how scarred, but He sees for what we can be. He sees that when a life that is truly yielded can do great things for Him. The Scripture says it was little among the thousands in Judah. There wasn't, there wasn't anything special about Bethlehem until Jesus came. But when Jesus came, look what the difference made. Look what Christ could do in a, in a place, but even more, what can Christ do in a life? God didn't come to Caesar's palace to be born, nor to Herod's court. But he came very quietly, almost, almost unannounced and really kind of incognito. He arrived in a seemingly insignificant town, but a place of tremendous potential. In a small village in Sweden, there was a little girl who was terribly poor and she was unskilled and uh, she didn't have much at all as far as skills go, but so she just did whatever she could do to be able to make a little bit of money, a lot of menial jobs, washing socks, mending, or, or, or anything at all, but she had one thing she loved to do. She loved to sing. And this little girl, she would stand on the, on the corner and, and she put a little hat out and she would sing with all her heart and, and she would hope people would drop by and drop a, a piece of copper or something in that little, little hat and she would sing with all her heart and she would sing and sing and, and one day as she sang in the wind and in the rain and in the heat or the cold, it didn't matter, but she would just barely have enough money to get by to eat some food. But there was a man one day, a great musician that happened by and he heard her. He heard her singing. And as he was just entranced by her voice. And he listened to her singing. And he, he just stood there and, and he, he looked at her and he said, Would you like to come and have a home with me? 
He invited her into his home. He taught her how to sing. He really enriched and invested in her life. He took her from rags to riches. And, and he really developed in her what God had already placed there. In her life, she became known as the toast of two continents. She was called the Swedish, Swedish Nightingale. They called her Jenny Lind. Listen, this musician, as he looked at her life, he looked at her and he said, look at this, this she, he didn't see the rags, he didn't see the emaciated figure, he didn't see someone who was broken and wretched. He looked at someone and he said, look what, look what God could happen if this little young lady had just a little bit more help, potential. There's so much potential wrapped up in that life. And listen, there is so much potential wrapped up in the life of individuals in this room today. And God can use you and He can use me if we just simply say, Lord, not by my might, not by my strength, not by my ability, but by your power, O oh Lord. Amen. You see, Bethlehem was not just a place of potential, but we can be too. It's not just a place of potential, but it's also a place of providence. Long centuries before Christ's birth, God foretold through His prophets that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the promised Messiah. This would be the place where Jesus Christ would come. And, and when, when reports spread to, the, uh, to Herod that there would be the birth of a king of the Jews, Herod wanted to know the location and immediately they were able to reply, in Bethlehem of Judea. And so as we see this, I want to invite you today to, in, in this as we look at Bethlehem, to learn to trust the hand of God. Because think about all that had to happen because Joseph and Mary did not live in Bethlehem. If you look back in Luke chapter 2 with me and where we started this morning, Mary and Joseph did not live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. Nazareth is 70 miles and several days journey to the north. Bethlehem is not simply a place of of potential, but it's a place of providence because we see that God still works in the affairs of men. There's so many people that say, listen, I'm a deist. God created, but then He let it go. Listen, I'm a biblicist. What God said is He says He created and He has been active in the affairs of men's life ever since in your life and my life. And we see that He providentially provided for us a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And far more than that, we see that he worked in this, in, in, in even uh, Herod's life, and he worked in this, in this situation because God used one decree, and it says in verse number one, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Do you think Caesar Augustus uh, wanted to do that? I believe firmly that God laid it upon his heart to send out a decree. Now we look back and we say, man, what an awesome thing that God did. But could you imagine being the people that had to go register for a tax? I don't want to be that guy. I mean, it's bad enough we've got to pay taxes here today, but let alone having to, having to walk or uh, ride a donkey or whatever direction. You know, having to travel that kind of distance without any kind of uh, vehicle. That, it, would have been it would have been very, very difficult. And looking at that situation, and, and we see it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And so everyone was inconvenienced so that God's will be done. Every, every individual, everyone that was displaced, their family was not where it started. Every person. Listen, Caesar was just a pawn in the hand of God. If there's ever a place of providence, it was Bethlehem. God put the whole world in motion to fulfill His Word. 
Think about that. At just the right time, he used a Roman decree to move Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. God is still at work today. God's not dead. Amen, church? Man, He is still alive. And as we think about that, I'm rem- I just want to just be encouraged because that same God that was active in Luke chapter 2 is the same God that we serve today. The same God that can save a, a, a life from, from drugs and alcohol and sin is the same, life that can, uh, the same God that can save your life too. Following the deliverance of the three Hebrew children, we're reminded in the book of Daniel that God uses even some of the most seemingly terrible decrees for his, our good and His glory. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17, this is what he writes. This, is the, this matter is by decree of the watchers and demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it whom, to whomsoever He will and setteth up over it the basis of men. Listen, God is in control. Solomon said it like this, Proverbs chapter 21 and verse number 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As a rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Listen, God is moving even in the affairs today. He is putting the whole world in motion to fulfill his word. What a terrible thing our country is going through. Maybe you've been angered, maybe you're elated, maybe you're discouraged, maybe you're put off by the events in our nation's capital. It doesn't matter. What, I, what we can see today is that God reminds us that He is in control. We can trust His Word today. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I never get tired of going, over to, these, going to these verses. For thousands of, thousands of times I've literally quoted these verses to myself. Thousands of times I've shared them in a counseling situation. Thousands of times they've been an encouragement and a balm to a hurting soul. Because he says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Listen, when you you don't understand, God calls us to trust him. In a society that has taught our young people to mock authority... And and even God, I want to send out a clarion call today from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 9. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, when you don't understand God, we can trust in the hand of God. In the past, there have been tremendous euphoria over the unification of the European Union. Some thought that this was going to be the end all. But could it also be that God is fulfilling His Word? That God is using and working behind the scenes of men to work toward uh, establishing that one world government where an electrifying leader could come and offer peace and many of the masses will follow him. Listen, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Listen, church, we can trust the hand of God today. We can also take on his heart. John Wesley's father's name was Samuel. 
And most of us are familiar with John Wesley, just tremendous uh, man who loved the Lord. Not always in agreement with all of his doctrine, but listen, we can all, also, always appreciate how God used him. And as Samuel was a de dedicated pastor as well, but there were those in his, in his parish that really didn't like him. On February 9th, 1709, a terrible fire broke out in his home. It, matter of fact, many people believed it was set by one of the people of his church. John, who was not yet six years old, was stranded upstairs. And he was upstairs in, in the second floor of the building and two, two neighbors rescued the lad just seconds before the roof collapsed. And, and, and one neighbor stood on another neighbor's shoulder and they were trying to get John out of the window. And as they rescued him out of the window, and Samuel Wesley said this, and I quote, Come neighbors, let us kneel down and let us give thanks to God, for he has given me all my eight children. Let the house go. I am rich enough. Listen, we see that when we can trust in the, heart, uh, the trust in the hand of God, we can take on the heart of God. Because even years later, God used this event in John's life where he was able to give testimony to God. This is what God had done in my life, and this is what God had protected. Listen, Samuel Wesley knew that it was what it was to take on God's heart, a, a heart of thankfulness. Even in the trial, even when you're going through something that seems so horrendous, we can say, Lord, I thank you, but, uh, but in everything, give thanks. Listen, we can adopt a life of praise. It's easy to say, joy to the world, the Lord is come. When things are going good, it's easy to say. But what about when you're hurting? What about when, when you're going through a difficulty? Listen, Bethlehem is a place of providence. Even though the Jews of the first century couldn't see it, put yourself in their place. They were oppressed by an invading government. Man, I, I would absolutely hate that. And they, they despised paying taxes. They were inconvenienced and incurred unexpected expenses in order to travel to Bethlehem to register for this tax. And all the while, it was the hand of God's providence providing and directing the whole affair. The same is true for us. There are many things that may appear on the surface as problems and maybe nothing short of the hand of God drawing us closer to His will and into a perfect, more unison and harmony with Him. Mary had to journey 70 miles in the last trimester of her pregnancy. How she got there, some, you know, traditionally we say she rode a donkey. I don't know about that. I don't know how Joseph would have been able to afford it. That'd be like me trying to buy a Corvette, you know. It's just not going to happen. Maybe he got it on payments. I don't know. But listen, we think about that 70 miles in the final, final time of her pregnancy. God works in incredible ways. How many ladies have ever had a child in here? How many of you want to, at 39 weeks pregnant, take a uh, journey? 70 miles either on foot or on a donkey. No. Can I get an amen to that? No. That's right. You don't want to do it. Neither would I. But in this moment, we see that God is working in a tremendous way. Maybe she was only 38 weeks pregnant, and after all that time of walking, she was ready to go. Amen? But listen, I urge you today, trust the hand of God. I encourage you, even when you don't always see how He's working in the background, even when you don't always see how God is working the details, that we can always trust Him because Bethlehem reminds us that God fulfills His Word. 
What he promises, he performs. And no matter how insurmountable the obstacles may seem, we can trust him in all of it. Because we see finally that Bethlehem is a place of great privilege. Could you imagine being able to say the Messiah was born in our town? When I drive down to Texas, there's a, a, a place on the side of, the, of uh, 75 as we go south. And it has a big uh, bust of a, one of our former presidents. In Sherman, Texas, I believe it is. Is that right? And I can't even remember right now. It's not in my notes, so I've got to, I've got to went blank. Eisenhower, thank you very much. General Dwight E. Eisenhower, but also president later. And as, as you drive down through there, you see this huge white head. And matter of fact, there's another place in Texas. I can't remember where, what highway it's on. It's got this giant statue of Samuel Houston. I-45 on the way to Galveston. My Texas folks are here. They remember. <laughs> Listen, we lift up and we reverence these guys. But could you imagine if you could say, Jesus was born in my town? Man, what an incredible thing. But listen, what an incredible privilege to be the handpicked city to be called the cradle of the Son of God. Out of all the cities in the world, though, why Bethlehem? Why not Jerusalem? For example, it was the seat of religious power. But let me remind you that God was not sending a, a, a message. The hope, God was sending a message in this. The hope of the world is not in religion. But why wouldn't God allow it to be Rome? It was the center of political power. Because I believe God wants us to know that the hope of the world is not in politics. But why not Athens? It was a center of intellectual power. Because I believe the hope of the world is not in philosophy. You see, God privileged the little town of Bethlehem because the hope of the world is in a Savior. Bethlehem is a place of privilege. You see, the Lord Jesus came on a mission to Bethlehem, and 33 years later, that mission led him to a cross outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. But before the cross was a cradle, and that cradle was a divinely placed in the town of Bethlehem. But when the moment came, most of the village missed it. Divine moments come and go in lives, but how are you going to recognize them? One author says this, so often they show up like any other moment, and so often when we are so occupied or so convinced something else we are doing is so important. And the danger is we let the moment go and never know what could have become of it. The same Christ that was born in Bethlehem could be born in you today. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 19, he says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. If we think Bethlehem was privileged to be the birthplace of our Lord, what a greater privilege to be, uh, for Him to be born in us. What about you? Phillips Brooks was the pastor of Holy Trinity Church of Philadelphia in the 19th century. He made a trip to the Holy Land in 1865 and it took Brooks several weeks on board of a ship on Christmas Eve and he made his way from Jerusalem to, Hel to, to Bethlehem on horseback. The scene and the experience were forever etched in his mind. Back home in Philadelphia later during the Christmas season of 1868, his mind was flooded with memories of the earlier Bethlehem Christmas. He sat at his desk and the words began to flow from his pen and he penned the words that night that we as believers have sung over and over and over for centuries. It was known as O Little Town of Bethlehem. Listen to the word he says, The hopes and fears 
of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years that you're carrying, let me invite you, God says that, listen, when Christ comes in, He can remove those fears. Christ gives us a brand new hope. I like what Christina Rossetti said as she, as she wrote this poem that night. That night, when shepherds heard the song of angelic host caroling near, a deaf man turned in slumber's spell and dreamed that he could hear. And that night when the cradle, uh, excuse me, that night when in the cattle stall slept mother and child in humble fold, a, a cripple turned his twisted limbs and dreamed that he was whole. That night when o'er the newborn babe slept a tender mother rose to lean, a loathsome leper smiled in sleep and dreamed that he was clean. That night when, the, when to the mother's breast the little king was held secure, a harlot slept sleep, a happy sleep and dreamed she was pure. That night, when in the manger lay the Holy One who came to save, a man turned in the sleep of death and dreamed there was no grave. What shall be our gift to Him? What shall I give Him as poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd give Him a lamb. If I were a wise, a wise man, I'd do my part. What shall I give Him? I'll give Him my heart. You see, today, the greatest gift that you could receive is Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that could ever happen to you today is that you allow Christ to be born again in your life. And today we invite you to experience the shepherd, the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and more than anything, our God. You see, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and today He invites you to, to invite Him into your heart and allow Him to be the Lord of your life, the King of kings of your life. You see, because Christmas is not about uh, presents, and it's not about uh, Santa Clauses, it's not about all of these other things. Christmas is about Christ. And this year, we want to invite, invite you to experience Christ born in your heart. John chapter 5 and verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. I invite you today. God's word invites you. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus stands at your heart's door and he's knocking and he says, won't you let me come in? Won't you let Jesus come in and be the Lord of your life? Would you let him be King of kings and Lord of lords in your life today? The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What about you? 